Father, we do just ask a special blessing on Rick now. First of all, Father, we pray that you reach down and touch his soul. Make certain, Lord, that his name is written in your book, the book of life. Father, we just ask a special blessing on the doctors as they make decisions. And we ask, Father, that you would allow him to heal, lengthen his life, we ask. And we just pray a special blessing on Barb as she works through all the, the difficulties that she will face in these weeks to come. Give them both your unlimited grace, we pray, and strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Gabriel shows up in chapter 10 in Daniel's presence. <clears throat> and explains why it took him 21 days to get there. And we got a little window into the spiritual realm in the fact that there is a battle going on behind the scenes. Probably we live behind the scenes, and it's the main battle, but from our perspective, behind the scenes. And we got just that tiny little glimpse, as we had a little glimpse at the beginning of the book of Job into the spiritual world. After that, when we got to chapter 11, I drug you through uh, painfully uh, 300 years of prophecy. Much of chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12 are in-depth explanations of previous prophecies that Daniel had made. Uh, the prophecies generally, as you recall, were written in Hebrew, and the historical part was written in Aramaic. We covered many of the wars, but not in as much detail, probably in too much detail, but not in as much detail as the Lord covers it in Daniel chapter 11. It's just a remarkable telling. I started to say retelling. Uh, that would put me in the liberal camp. Uh, a fourth telling of, of events that were to come from the time of Daniel until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And infinite detail of wars and battles and failures and successes and marriages and broken marriages and, and deceit. And it's so much so that uh, those who question the Bible would say Daniel had to be written after the events. There's no way anybody could have written it before the events. And in a sense, they're right. Nobody could have written it before the events except, of course, for God, who knows the future as well as he knows the past. So we covered the wars between the northern and southern uh, Greek divisions that happened after Alexander the Great. And we looked particularly at the Ptolemaic Empire, which we call Egypt. And we looked at the Seleucid Empire, which now we call Syria, really. Probably Syria is where uh, Seleucid is probably where Syria gets its original name. But it's also part of what we call Iraq and Iran. And that was the Seleucid Kingdom to the north. I'm trying to figure the map northeast of, as they broke up the Greek Empire. The last time we were together, we saw the rise of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He's the fifth generation from the general Seleucus who actually served under Alexander the Great. And when Alexander died, they broke up the kingdom into the four reign realms that these four generals uh, then controlled and became kings of. So one of the, one of the uh, generals was Ptolemy and another one was Seleucus. And there are two others whose names I don't remember. Uh, and then we, we followed Antiochus IV Epiphanes all the way up till he, he actually, he went to war with Egypt four times, won three times. And when he went down the fourth time, 
We worked all the way through uh, his four wars. He went through these four wars with Egypt and got very embarrassed the last time when he went down because the Egyptians, the Ptolemaic Empire, had aligned themselves with Rome. And when he went down there, rather than facing the Egyptians, Antiochus IV faced the Roman Empire and in so doing was deeply humiliated by the general, the Roman general that was there. And when he came back, it was great anger in his heart. Of course, every one of these movements of these armies had to go right through Israel. If you go from Syria to Egypt and Egypt to Syria, you're going to walk right through Israel. And of course, little old Israel took a beating every time one of these armies came through. Well, they really took a beating when, when Antiochus came back and he came back and he killed all their priests. All the, he, hated, he hated the Jews. He hated the Jewish God. He hated everything about Israel. And he is a pre-type. He is a preview of coming attractions of the Antichrist. Many Old Testament prophecies when it gets confusing, I know, but many Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled early as required by Old Testament law, and then there's a later fulfillment. Well, Antiochus IV Epiphanes is a Greek, and he is the early fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. The later fulfillment hasn't happened yet. So after Antiochus, another 150 years passes, Jesus comes on the scene, Matthew 24, Jesus says, when ye shall see the abomination of desecration, of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And you go, wait a minute, that already happened uh, 150 years ago. No, it didn't. It did happen 150 years ago, but it's going to happen again. And that Antichrist, that Antiochus, is going to be the one we call the Antichrist. And we think he's going to be a Roman. So you've got to keep the two straight. One is a Greek, which happened before Christ's day, and the other is a Roman, we think, that hasn't risen to power yet. Um, so this prophecy takes us right up through the time where Antiochus offers a sow on the Holy of Holies, kills all the priests, sets up his own priesthood, and generally just destroys Israel, which resulted in the Jews revolting in a revolt that the Maccabean family started it, so it's called the Maccabean Revolution. And that actually won their, their freedom from Greece when the Jews rose up against Antiochus. He actually pushed them to a point too far. I wonder, you know, as I look at our current events, what is going to be our point too far? How are we going to know when it's time to act? I don't know the answer to that, but I certainly know the question will. So we're now poised, as we finished up three weeks ago, we're now poised for the great tribulation, you know. The prophecy goes from Antiochus. I'm in verse 35 of chapter 11 of Daniel. And by the way, if you want to put a little marker in Revelation chapter 12, Revelation 20 and Matthew 24. I'll be reading from all of those chapters. I'm not, not all the chapter, but I'll be reading from all of those chapters as I go along. And uh, I, I didn't set up a PowerPoint, so you have to do your own finger work this time. I'm sorry. Revelation 12, Revelation 20, and Matthew 24, as well as Daniel chapter 12. That's where we're going to be jumping around from. So at Daniel chapter 11 and verse 35, the prophecy skips from Antiochus to the one we call Antichrist. It skips the entire Roman Empire, it skips the entire church age, it skips all, it skips the rapture, it skips the, the uh, oh, I forget the word for it. It forgets the, it skips the first half of the tribulation and it goes right into the, uh, no, no, it goes right into the great tribulation. Jesus said, and the, the first half is called the beginning of sorrows, that came to me, thank you. Uh, but then the second half is called the Great Tribulation. We skip the beginning of sorrows and we go from the, the abomination of desolation 
in Daniel uh, with Antiochus to the abomination of desolation with Antichrist. We skipped that, dare I say, 2,000 years. That puts us in the crowd that is involved in this thing, which it certainly seems to us, you know. So this prophecy now, you'll notice the phrase in Daniel 11.35, until the end times. Many will be tried and tested, and it's kind of this blurs all these future events together until the time of the end. And when you see until the time of the end, that's where the prophecy skips, all the way up until the time of the end. And it's clear because as you read those prophecies in Daniel chapter 11, this is what we did the last time. When you read those prophecies in Daniel chapter 11, it was clear they were not about Antiochus IV. They were about Antichrist. It wasn't about the Greek Empire losing control of Israel. It was about the, the world losing control of itself to Satan's uh, head guy, the one we call Antichrist. Probably not a good name for him, but we call him that. John said there's many Antichrists in the world, so it's very confusing. But there's one that we as Christians, particularly premillennial Christians, usually refer to as Antichrist, and, and that, that is the beast of Revelation chapter 13. Anyhow, so we're now poised for the Great Tribulation, and we pick up our, cha our chapter in verse, I mean, our, we pick up chapter 12 in verse 1. That was the introduction. Bring you up to speed. And at that time, we're only going to do three verses today, Lord willing. <laughs> Be lucky to get through that. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince. We only know the name of three angels, and one of them now is the devil. Uh, we know Michael, we know Gabriel, and we know Lucifer. Uh, that's it. Uh, we don't get any other names uh, that I know of in the Bible. There's only three named. And, and, of course, Gabriel is the guy that keeps carrying messages back and forth. He's the one who came to Mary and said, whoa, have I got news for you. And uh, Michael is the one, anytime Israel is in trouble, he stands up for Israel. So that says here, at that time shall Michael stand up. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. So apparently, he's apparently an archangel, but we don't know that. There's so much we don't know. He's certainly a very powerful angel, and he's apparently assigned to protect God's people. Now, does that mean Israel, or does that mean all of God's people? We don't know. I, I hope he stands for us as well, but I, I don't know that. He's never visited me. I would ask him. No, I wouldn't. I'd be afraid to speak. Uh, and for the children of thy people, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. So you know we're now talking about the Great Tribulation. There'll be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation ever to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. You know, Paul says, and then all Israel will be saved. There's this promise that at the end, God will deliver and protect his people, Israel, during the great tribulation. That's great news if you're Jewish. If you're a Gentile and you get saved during the tribulation, that's bad news. Because when he can't get to them, he comes after us. All right. I'm, I'm counting on the fact that the church is is taken out prior to all these events and that all that's left are tribulation saints, people who got saved late. Don't put it off, all right? Everyone that shall be found written in the book. You know, when Paul says all Israel, he didn't mean all Israel is in every Jew. He meant every Jew whose name is written in the book of life. That's what Gabriel is saying here. Uh, now remember, this is the second abomination of desolation. Jesus said it would mark the beginning of the great tribulation. And Jesus was the one that said the great tribulation will be the worst the world has ever seen. Uh, now, what's going to happen as, as we jump into this is we're beginning to look at this battle from the spiritual side. So if you would turn to Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading at verse 7, Revelation 12 and verse 7. It appears that Michael stands up. 
because Satan's going to attempt to overthrow God in heaven. Whether or not he's actually lost his mind or lost it many, many eons ago, I don't know. But he somehow thinks that he's going to control God and take over heaven. Michael then leads a counterattack, and the result is that Satan is cast out of heaven. Uh, there are those that think that's already happened. There are those that think that hasn't happened yet. Uh, I'm one of those that thinks it hasn't happened yet. But I'll tell you what, the more I watch the news, I wonder if he's not in, in full force down here. Verse 7, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. I can't think of anything more frustrating than attacking God, and he sends one of his angels to whoop you. You know, it's like sending your little brother. You know, he, he, Satan is not going up against God. He wouldn't stand a chance. He will, actually, when we get to the end, but he's not yet. God is going to vaporize him. Uh, but uh, he didn't even stand up against the Lord Jesus Christ. It, Jesus said, Michael, take care of my light work. All right. And he prevailed not. Neither was a place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old servant called the devil and Satan, in case you don't know who we're talking about, which deceiveth the whole world. His name is also the deceiver. But he was cast unto earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, if we read Job correctly, at one point, or at least at some point, and we don't know what point we're in, but at some point, Satan apparently had access to heaven and could come and go and sit in on the uh, business meetings and make comments and snide remarks, and those days are over now. The real trouble begins when Satan lands on the earth and has just a little time left. Uh, Jesus tells you in Matthew 24 and verse 22, don't turn there, if, if the time of this trouble is not cut short, nobody would survive. Now I'm going to keep reading in Revelation chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. So we know the accuser of our brethren, we know that who's speaking now is the church. The church, at least the elders of the church, which are in heaven. And they overcame him, speaking of the tribulation saints. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. The three things that's going to give tribulation saints power over Satan is their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that the blood of Jesus saves them from their sins. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. All we can do is call on God. And it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on Calvary that becomes the basis of our forgiveness. God can't forgive us just because he wants to. The, the law requires that some blood be shed. Jesus said his, shed his blood so that we might be able to come to him and easily find forgiveness through putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the tribulation saints that are being spoken of here in verse 11, Revelation chapter 12. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. When they got up to stand before their judges and their trials at their executions, they said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for my sins. It was their faith in his blood and their testimony that caused them to be saved. And they loved not their lives unto death. Our understanding is that millions and millions, at least hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tribulation saints will give their lives for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ during the second half of the great tribulation. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, these are the elders going on, and they that dwell with them, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth for the, for the, the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. I made this note a few times back when we went through this book. I said, imagine that Jesus said this would be a time 
of the worst trouble the Jews had ever seen. You know, that's one thing if you say that about the United States. Probably the worst thing we ever saw was the Civil War, at least so far. And now I hear they've revised the estimates of those killed in the Civil War to 700,000. But that pales in comparison to anything that Israel has been through. When you say it's the worst that the U.S. have ever faced, that's one thing. I mean, that's bad, but that's just one thing. But when you say it's the worst that Israel had ever faced, and you realize they have been under satanic attack ever since God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, they've been under satanic attack. And you think about the Egyptians, 430 years, and the, 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 the final solution in Egypt was to kill all the firstborn males. We'll keep the girls, but just kill all the boys. Great idea, Pharaoh, you know. And then Assyria comes in and carries off the whole northern tribe. We call them the lost tribes of the house of Israel because they've never found them yet. There's people all over the world that have Jewish blood in them because Assyria, when they took these people captive, would force them to intermarry and intermix with other cultures. And these Jews from the northern tribes were the first to be carried off in captivity, and they were spread all over the then known world by the Assyrian Empire. And you, you, I, I won't, I haven't done it yet, but my wife did, uh, what's that, uh, that thing where you test your blood and you see how many ancestors you have, and she, lo and behold, she has Jewish in her blood, no kidding. There's part of the lost tribe right there, down there, taking care of our junior church, you know. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I, I don't know about me, I'm afraid to put my name in for fear, I'll be accused of two or three hundred murders somewhere. You know? Uh, then you think about Assyrian the captivity, and then you move on down just a, a little bit later is the Babylonian captivity, where most of the southern tribes were slaughtered, and those that were carried off were carried off into slavery. That's Daniel and his tribe, you know, 70 years under them, and then a full restoration. And you think, well, whoa, finally we got our nation back. You know, we've had a couple of we've had a couple of bad experiences, right? But now we've got our nation back, and here comes Alexander the Great. Hallelujah! He's going to conquer the whole world, and once again, they're slaves to another Gentile power, and they finally shake off the they shake off the chains from Alexander the Great under under his, his actually his general's fifth generation grandson. And, and along comes the Roman Empire. And when Jesus comes along, they're still in bondage to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire destroys their nation and drives them all over the world. They have yet to find any freedom at all. And you have to chuckle with that Pharisee when Jesus said, you know, if the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. And a Pharisee said, what are you talking about, teacher? We have never been slaves. And I'm thinking, don't they teach history in Jewish school? I mean, are you kidding me? You never. The question is, has Israel ever been free? You know, and, and you think that Jesus, he's sitting there at the base of the temple. He had just walked out of the temple and, and he had just condemned the Pharisees. As he, as he stepped out of the temple, he says, henceforth, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, that's one thing when I walk out of a church and make some stupid statement, henceforth, your house is left desolate. Everybody goes, yeah, Bob's gone. So what, you know? But when God walks out, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Henceforth, your house is left in you desolate. And then he said, you will not see me henceforth. You'll not see me ever again until you will say unto me, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is not going to return until Israel invites him back. That's an interesting point. You wonder why Satan hates Israel. You wonder why Satan wants to destroy Israel. And now you know. Because if he can kill every living Jew, they can't invite him back. And he'll have this world to his own. He's not going to make it, by the way. He loses. So you have the, the destruction of the 70 AD Rome when they destroyed the temple and a worldwide dispersion for 2,000 years. And then 
It doesn't even end with that. You would think that a Jew could move to England or France or Spain and just live an ordinary life, but every one of those countries rose up against them, hated them and drove them out, persecuted them, mistreated them, every country they found themselves in, for the most part, except for the U.S., for the most part. Other nations have, they've done well in every nation they've ever been. They followed God's plan and they did well but they faced racial, financial, and religious prejudice wherever they went. And of course, the horrors of the Inquisition are indescribable. And of course, along comes Hitler with his final solution. He's gonna kill every living Jew, that's his plan. Drive them all out, kill them all. Wonder where he got that idea from, you know? And now Jesus said, this tribulation will be worse. And you begin to put into perspective what the second three and a half years of the tribulation will look like. And yet notice the promise back in Daniel chapter 1, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Notice the promise at the end, the very end of the phrase. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, all those whose names are written in the book. Now that's talking about Jews that become believers. But it's not talking about us. But the truth is, you want to be sure your name's written in the book, too. You know, the disciples were all excited about demons obeying them. And Jesus said, don't be excited because the demons are subject unto you. Be excited because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's where you want it written. You want to surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to ask Him to come into your life and save you. And you want your name written down in His book. Period. You don't. Now, this was a promise to believing Israel, the remnant. Your name is written in the book. Now, you could ask, how's my clock doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, you could ask, how will Israel be delivered? And you can turn to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13, and you can see it. There's an airlift called Eagle. Now, some people think, well, that's the United States because there's an eagle in it. Well, the eagle appears an awful lot in the Bible, and you can't really say that's us. I would like to be arrogant enough to think that is us, but I actually think God is going to do it on his own. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, I'm in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. I apologize for jumping around, but it's the only way I know to do it. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. That's Israel. The woman that brought forth Jesus is Israel. All right, that's Old Testament prophecy. You'll never understand the book of the Revelation if you don't understand Old Testament prophecy. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle... That might be a C-130, but I kind of doubt it. And she might fly into the wilderness, and the wilderness is either Moab or Edom, two different ways to say the name of the same place, into her place where she's nourished for a time and times and a half time, three and a half years from the face of the serpent. So through the miraculous work of God, the remnant will end up in Petra, a place we call Petra or Edom, uh, where they'll be protected and provided before by God, and Antichrist will not be able to get at them. And because of that, he will turn on the remnant, those who became believers during the tribulation period. I say that only because I believe the church will be gone. So he can't get to Israel, so he turns his wrath on the tribulation saints. I'm in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 now. And I saw thrones. And they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God 
and which had not worshipped the beast. So these are believers during the tribulation period, had not worshipped the beast, they refused to worship the beast, and their execution is by beheading. So we assume there's going to be a guillotine in the future there. They didn't worship the beast or his image, and neither had received the mark upon their forehead or upon their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now there's an awful lot in here that tells us that these tribulation saints who died during the tribulation will be resurrected to serve with Christ doing, during that thousand-year reign, a literal thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus on the earth, uh, which we call the millennium. Millennium just means thousand, so it's just a thousand-year reign. And they're going to be there, and they're going to serve. Now, the tribulation will be a bad time for everyone, but it'll be especially bad if you're a believer. They're going to hunt, hunt you down, and they're going to kill you if they can. Now, the church is mentioned 18 times in the first three chapters of the book of the of book of the Revelation, it's not mentioned again until it's seen returning with Jesus in in chapter 19. So we believe the church is gone, and these tribulation saints are a different group of believers, not Southern Baptists. Uh, it's those I believe who come to faith after the rapture, but before Jesus returns. The point of this passage, of course, is their death is not to be feared. Uh, actually they'll be raised to serve with Christ for the millennium. They won't miss anything except if, if, you're caught, if, you're, if you're not saved now or if there is no rapture and you find yourself in the tribulation, do not be afraid to die. Dying is actually a benefit because you get out of the worst of it and you're raised again to serve during the millennial period. And verse 2, roaring through Daniel, as it were, and many of them that slept in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. People say the, the resurrection is not in the Old Testament, but it's everywhere in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the, it's everywhere in the Bible, the resurrection. Sleep is the word, catchword that Jesus used to describe believers who died. And many of them that slept in the dust of the earth, they've been buried shall be awake, they shall rise. The promise, as unbelievable as it is, is that we're going to die if, if we're not alive at the time of the second coming. We're going to die, and we're either going to be cremated into dust or we'll be put in a box where we'll slowly turn into dust and we'll be buried in the earth, and at some point, that dust is going to be raised again. Now, how God does that, I don't know. How he called light from darkness, I don't know. How he turned dust into light for the first time, I don't know. But the fact is, that's the promise, that it's consistent all the way through the Bible. Every, every book of the Bible has promises that we can trust. Two resurrections here prophesied, some to everlasting life and some to shame and contempt. One will be to life, one to shame. The Bible does not teach annihilation of the soul. It teaches you're either with God or without God. As simple as that. It's not a question of whether you'll make eternity. You don't have to pray for eternal life in a sense because everybody is going to be alive eternally. What you have to pray for is that you're living in the right house. You want to be living with Jesus and God. See, we'll all be resurrected. There's two resurrections. 
The first resurrection will be at the beginning of the thousand year period. And it says they live and reign with Christ a thousand years. The second resurrection will be at the great white throne judgment when the lost, the condemned of all the world will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and be judged. Now I'm in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 now. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I messed myself up here. Sorry, I talked ahead of my notes here. Yeah. Verse 20, uh, chapter 20 and verse 5. But the rest of the dead, that's the lost world, the rest of the dead, chapter 20, Revelation, verse 5. Live not again until the thousand years were finished. The tribulation saints will be raised as we will be in our eternal bodies to go through the millennial period serving with Christ. We'll have work to do. We'll have jobs. I don't know what they'll be. It's probably based in part of how well we did down here, but that doesn't sound too good for me. So I'm just going to say I don't know. But the rest of the dead, that's the lost world, live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now try to imagine you've been in hell now for 2,000 years and all of a sudden you're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't imagine the experience of it. You're standing there with thousands upon thousands and thousands upon thousands of people who are all lost and you're going to stand trial for your behavior on the earth. I can't imagine. I saw a great bright throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. That's verse 11. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened. Now I've heard, I don't know if anyone can prove this, but I've heard one book is the book of the law and that is every time you violated the law. Oh my. And the other is the book of works and that's every time you did something good and people like to think, well, if my good outweighs my bad, I might make it in. But then it says, and another book. And the other book is the Lamb's Book of Life. So the purpose of the judgment is to show you how you violated the law and how your works cannot undo the wrong that you've done. It's as if I were a murderer and I stood before the judge and he said, well, you've been convicted of murder. How do you plead? And I would say, well, judge, I only killed one person. You know, well, that's enough. One is enough. One violation of the law is enough. There's no amount of good works that will undo that. What matters is where's my name written down? If my name's not written down, so keep reading on this thing. Book of life, I'm sorry, the book of, I said, I lost my place, sorry. I saw the dead small and great stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Had to be their works because they never accepted Jesus. See, the judgment will have to be based on works. There's, but, but it won't work. It won't work. There's no amount of good works that can undo the wrong that we've done. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. People have also, preachers have often said, you're either born twice or you die twice. You have a choice. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life. That's where you want your name written. That's what Daniel said. You want your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Was cast in the lake of fire. Verse 3. Daniel chapter 12. We're actually going to finish the first three verses of Daniel. And the clock is finishing me. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. A lot of us as new Christians memorize this verse. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What is wise? It's interesting to note here that the wise will shine, that is, they reflect light. It's a word, shine, is a Hebrew word, 
the firmament, which describes the atmosphere around planet Earth. And if you've ever been out in space, I'm assuming most of you haven't, you'll see that the Earth glows because of the sun's rays striking our atmosphere. That's the brightness of the firmament. That's written by someone who lives outside of our Earth. See, The wise will shine as the brightness of the firmament. There'll be a glow about you from the light of God shining on you. Now this passage says, and they that turn many to righteousness, and I'm assuming that's talking about soul winning, as the stars forever and ever. So for the soul winner, the soul winner that turns many to righteousness shines like a star, but the wise shine like reflected light from God. And I, I know this is probably Hebrew parallelism. It's, it's a poem. It's a poetic form of writing. And probably both things are true for us. Hopefully we're both soul winners and we're both wise. So we reflect the light of God, but as soul winners, we also emanate God's glory. As Moses, when he came down off the mountain, the, 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 those, those that win others reflect the glory of God. You know, I don't think it means they reflect their own glory. I think it just means they reflect the glory of God. You know, it was so bad when Moses came down from the mountain, they had to put a paper bag over his head. They couldn't stand to look at him. He was glowing so much. Actually, they put a veil over his head because it was annoying people that he glowed so much. It's saying that if you're a soul winner, you're going to glow. That's pretty cool, you know. But what does it mean to be wise? Proverbs 1, verse 5 says, A man will hear and will increase in learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Wisdom listens to God, see. Matthew 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So the wise man listens and obeys. Right. Follow that. The wise man listens and he obeys. Is Jesus your Lord? Boss, shepherd, king, God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Wise. And they follow me. Works. You see that? Both go hand in hand. My sheep hear my voice and they, I know them and they follow me. John 10, 27. I give unto them eternal life. I give unto them eternal life. I give unto them. They're not earning it. He's giving it. You see that? We hear him and we follow him, but he gives us eternal life. You see that parallel? We're not earning it. We're not working our way to heaven. God has given us strictly by grace. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any. Now, the King James has a little man in italicized letter, neither shall any man, but that word's not there. Uh, it's added because it's kind of implied but it's only implied by context, and it's a question about whether he, Jesus meant any man or he meant anything, anyone, anywhere, anyhow. Neither shall anything pluck them out of my hand. I'm holding on to them, and then I'm not letting go. That's the point. Daniel was a wise man because he followed Jesus in the worst of times. And I mean the very worst. A young teenager trying to follow God as a slave in Babylon. He determined he was going to obey God to the best of his ability. Are you wise today? If you are, you have two marks on you. One is an ear mark, you hear, and the other is a foot mark, you follow. And it's my prayer that that's true for everybody here today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity to once again stand up and teach your words to others. I thank you for the privilege. I pray, Father, that these words of yours, not mine, would fall on their ears. 
My hope, Father, is that we would all be found standing with you, not in front of you on Judgment Day, and that we will be found worthy to be called up in the rapture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'll stop that one. Stop. Stop. Stop, stop. No, I let that guy run. Well, what do I do now? My song leader's not here. Did you pick out a song, Rachel? Well, I just opened this. It's probably the book my mother used to hold because it opened right to Rock of Ages. Oh, it also opened to Jesus Loves Me. Let's do that, 344. I know of those two, Linda would pick 344. I know she would. In the blue books, 344, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, the little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, loves me, he will say, close beside me all the way, if I love him when I die, he will take me home on high, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Father, as we go from here, we pray that you would go with us, that you would watch over us, and that you would prosper us in our work. We do pray for those at the uh, language school this week and in the weeks to come, that you'll give them great patience and, and courage to face the, the mountain of work that stands in front of them and to face it with grace and power. We pray you'd give them good memories and that you'd work with them. Lord, we pray, too, for those that are about to travel. I think of Rob and many others as the summer is upon us and we're all running to and fro. Father, I pray that you would keep us safe as we run around and as we travel. And Father, we wouldn't leave without committing ourselves to pray for Rick. We just ask, Father, that you would give him great courage during this time, that you would be very real to him, and that his soul would be encapsulated in the love you have for him. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.